Welcome to Life in the Pit, a podcast about the lives and adventures of instrumentalists within the wonderful world of musical theater. And now, here is your host, David Lane. Welcome, everyone, to Life in the Mosh Pit, where we will talk about heavy metal. Uh, I'm sorry, that's not correct. We're still just talking about theater musicians, and, uh, you know, sometimes they play heavy metal um, or hard rock, such as today's guest, James Hodson, playing the end title jam from the movie Lock-In, which is a movie that I also provided the original score for, except for a couple of cues that he did, like this one. That was our only connection before this upcoming interview. Anyway, this is episode number 13, and let me just say first, happy opening weekend. As mentioned on the previous episode, this is the opening weekend for always the Patsy Cline story at Winston-Salem Theater Alliance. Actually, right outside the building, um, behind the building, limited audience, and uh, the band is on stage. There's, there are six of us, and in spite of the heat and humidity and wearing masks, it is great to be playing my first live theater gig of 2020. It's looking quite likely that it'll be the only live theater gig of 2020 that I'll be able to do, but 2021 is looking pretty good uh, as long as world events cooperate. Before we get started with today's show, I just want to say how appreciative I am uh, every time I get a message or a review from someone just saying what this show means to you. Um, I got a message through Instagram uh, from a listener who is a 15-year-old high school student playing guitar and uh, just expressing appreciation uh, that we are talking about pit musicians and uh, you know, something that he would like to do someday. So I just want to say thank you for that. And, um, you know, just thank you for all of the encouragement. This is a, I think, a, it's a special podcast because there aren't many like it. It's the only podcast I know that focuses on the world of musical theater from the perspective of those who are in the pit. One more reminder, um, we are going back to once a week as being the norm. I was going to try to go through August. That was something I said previously, but uh, I'm just finding it being a one-man show at this point. It's difficult to do two episodes a week, week after week. The original intent was to be every Friday, so that is where we're going back to. So it'll be next Friday, not next Tuesday, that you get the next episode. Okay, when I started this show, uh, I, I started it knowing that I could interview a lot of my local friends and colleagues, but I was really hoping that it would expand. It, I would be including people from all over the place, and I didn't expect this quite so soon. This is really all over the place. I am in my home studio in North Carolina, and my interview is with a guitarist in Melbourne, Australia. 14-hour time difference. I'm talking with James Hodson, who has 
Uh, so many things we could talk about. He plays trumpet. He plays guitar. He's a composer. He has toured China with the Australian Concert Orchestra. Uh, he has a YouTube channel called The Stringdom. But I'm talking to him because he is a cruise ship musician. He has been in the backup band. He's now a headline entertainer. He's been to all seven continents, and he's going to talk to us about what it's like to be a musician on a cruise ship and how that relates to the pit. Here's my interview with James Hudson. All right, this is a lot of firsts for me. So this is the first time that I've had the pleasure of interviewing somebody um, from another nation, from another continent. And and actually, this is really weird when we stay, say it out loud. So it is 9.30 in the morning here, 11.30 at night there. But here's the biggest one. I'm calling from the land of summer to the land of winter. So welcome <laughs> to James Hodson. James, how are you doing? G'day, g'day mate. Uh, I don't actually sound like that, and, and Australians don't often say that, but uh, I thought I'd give you a bit of Australian flavor there straight off the bat. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah, I could have you say, well, you know, uh, we come from the land down under. Is that something you could say? <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess so. I think that's the common currency when, uh, when we talk to people from overseas, but... Uh, Sharing the same language often helps as well, so that's that's good. <laughs> that's true. Um, so the other, um, I guess the other thing that's new for me is this is you're the first person I've interviewed um, chronologically that I haven't met yet. Although that's right, we're not complete strangers because we have worked on a project together. So um, the music you heard at the very beginning of this podcast was uh, one of the cues from Lock In, and uh, and here's another one of those cues. Uh, from Lock In. This is James Hodson on the guitar. James, uh, so that was you. You recorded, you composed that uh, those two tracks for the guitar for the movie Lock In, which was mm-hmm. directed at, by Dan Beckman and Aaron Durth of uh, Sp- Spring Theater in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, where I live. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had the pleasure of doing much of the underscore, but there are a few places where Dan wanted a little bit of punch he wanted he wanted some guitar flavor and he asked you to do that so what was it like working across the world on a on a film uh for for a few cues like that uh well it was pretty it was pretty last minute truth be told and um and i guess uh you know i would check in with dan and uh, over a period of it was actually just a couple of days really and um uh, I saw him in increasingly more frantic and disheveled kind <laughs> of uh, demeanor. Right. Um, and so it was originally going to be one one cue, and then uh, and then at the end, that sort of rock, wailing rock kind of guitar, which is kind of like, sort of reminded me of the end of the, the Matrix or whatever it is, when the Rage Against the Machine kind of comes in, and right. sort of that rock kind of thing. Um, but actually, you know, in a strange way, it was um, it's forced me to be a bit more online uh, this whole... Uh, 
uh, well, literally being locked in, you know, and it, it's it's forced me to be a bit more uh, sort of gather all my studio equipment and plug everything in. And um, I guess we'll get onto it, but I'm usually a quite an itinerant musician. So right. uh, a lot of my gear is not often in the same place or it's in, still in, um, you know, have to sort of unbox it all and unravel all the leads. So uh, so I when I did all of that, it's um, it's been great to do a few little projects uh, here and there. And then that was that was one of them. So, um yeah, it was uh, it, it was it worked out quite well. Yeah, did you get a chance to to watch the finished product? I did, and actually, I was blown away because uh, Dan mentioned that it was a feature film, and indeed, it was. I don't know what it clocked in at, but it was um, it was it was it was an epic uh, undertaking, and no wonder he looked so disheveled when <laughs> yeah. I saw him uh, trying to piece that all together. It I was, think, uh, yeah, it's fantastic. I think it ended up being just under two and a half hours. It was, but yeah, yeah, and. And and I'm I'm not sure how they got it down to that far. I mean, you have a hundred cast members, you have each with their own footage, and yeah, that was my first feature film score in a while. But I remember the conversation. He was describing what he wanted at the end, and he wanted a, a repeat of the string and piano music that we had at the prologue, and and then he says, "Cut the title." And I, I probably I don't know if I still I cleaned out a lot of my emails, but hopefully I still have the track of and and if I do, I'm going to insert it on here of Dan mm-hmm. describing what he wants at the end. <laughs> and and it's like, cue the guitar. Dan, Dan. Down, down, down. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And, I, had, uh, I had that same one. It was so good. <laughs> yeah. And I was watching the footage, hearing him do that. And, uh, and I was just thinking, I'm not, I'm not sure if you know what you have in mind, Dan, I don't know if that's going to work. And, uh, <laughs> but I'll trust you on that. And then I saw the finished product and, you know, heard you playing and I was like, Oh, well, that's a lot better than him singing that part. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it yeah. sort of it was it was quite a comedic, wasn't it? Him trying to emulate a one man rage against the machine soundtrack. That was a that was you know it had a, quite a different flavor to the ending. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and and it's actually it's a fun contrast, you know, because you're you're coming from kind of a I don't know syrupy sweet uh, cue that I did right before that into your guitars, and uh, I don't know I liked it quite a bit. Mm, yeah, it, it did work. Yeah, got to got to have faith in the man. It was great. <laughs> right. Um, so, what has been your path as a musician? You, um, you uh, you've always lived in Melbourne, Australia, right? Yes, that's right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, go on. Oh, oh no. Just uh, so, how, how did you first get into music? I know that you play you play trumpet, you play guitar, and of course you you've composed. But what what was the first instrument that made you take music seriously? Uh, well, I was a bit of a late bloomer um, when it comes to people doing music professionally. I, um, you know, my folks weren't musical, uh, and I went to a sports. Uh, well, I guess it would be in the states. It's like a m- middle school, I guess. So I was about twelve, um, and I actually hadn't played music uh, up until then. And uh, yeah, so I picked up, um, I picked up guitar, uh, and. In the way that I've, having done some teaching as well, you, there's a certain type of obsessiveness that, you know, sort of adolescents have where they just sort of take something and run with it. And at the time, I don't know if you've, you've had that as well, David, but like, I, you know, I, it didn't feel like work. But looking back on it, I must have just spent hours on weekends and I, you know, I kind of worked out a lot of the nuts and bolts of music um, and later being a teacher, it, you know, it was. I sort of surprised myself at how much I'd kind of just figured out, you know, in in my bedroom just with a crummy acoustic guitar. So I started off doing guitar, um, went through high school, and actually, funnily, funnily enough, um, uh, in my so it was a sports school, 
mm. and uh, there wasn't there wasn't a great pool of you know there were schools in the area that were music schools essentially. Um, but luckily for me, there was, wasn't a lot of competition. So the head of music threw a lot of resources and a lot of support behind me. And, um, and I, uh, I ended up arranging some things for the school big band when I was in, uh, in the final two years. And we, we, uh, did some recording with a kind of kind of rock band going on there. And, and that really gave me a flavor for, yeah. I mean, if you, if you show up with the parts and you know how to, and you, you know, you go online and you read how to transpose for, all the saxophones and <laughs> you put yeah. a few things in there and I was it was kind of amazing you know being a what 16 year old kid and hearing 20 people play something that you wrote in your bedroom it's um it's kind of an addictive um experience you know when you and especially even if you get to perform it let alone uh record it or hear it so um that was yeah my initial uh start into music and then um and then I went on to uni and I uh, actually wanted to get into film composition sort of took a bit of a detour and, um, uh, you know, went into the sort of hardcore modern classical composition and the right. performance. I'm sorry. Of, what do you mean by yeah. uni? What does that mean? Oh, sorry. That's, I guess that's college. Yeah. Uh, oh, oh, oh um, okay. Yeah. yeah university. Sorry. Yeah. I, yeah. I gotcha. So, yeah. so I went through Melbourne university and, um, <laughs> actually funnily enough, you, you'll be able to relate to this, uh, um, David, mm -hmm. it, I remember, you know, I had these dreams of writing these lush scores to, uh, you know, films. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, if the, I soon realized that if there's one industry that's worse off than the music industry, it's the film industry in Australia. So, <laughs> um, so I thought maybe it's not the best, you know, like a lot of things in the arts, a core passion really has to drive. And I, I enjoyed the composing more than I enjoyed the film aspect, I think. So right. um, I had the, I mean, I had the great opportunity. I had some great opportunities through Melbourne University to um, write for the Melbourne Symphony. And uh, actually Steve Reich, the amazing American composer, did a masterclass and we workshopped uh, some of our pieces with him. And uh, yeah, learned from some amazing uh, teachers here. So I sort of... Um, went down that really, you know, modern contemporary music path. Uh, and I still have a bit of that, but, uh, I guess, uh, what we're, what we should really talk about today is the, the kind of, um, the theater playing, the actual playing side of things on, uh, on cruise ships, which is where I ended up for my, for the last five years of my, uh, musical life. So, which is quite, quite a contrast. Yeah. So how, how did, how did that come to Pat? How did you get onto cruise ships? <laughs> well, I sort of fell backwards into it. Um, and uh, I tell you what, if, if there's anyone listening who's kind of in their early 20s and they're a performer, a, a musician, and they really want to get great at the session playing, I um, listened to um, your your interview with Alan, mm -hmm. uh, the guitarist. And especially for guitarists, I have to say, like getting as much sight reading practice as you can is, is invaluable because a lot of guitarists don't really learn that way. Um, but uh, that aside, it's I think it's terrific if you come straight out of um, college, uni, and go and 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 just get as much because you're playing every day. Right. Um, you're there with, you know. It's I tell you what, the the whole cruise world is a. <laughs> you grow up pretty quick if you if you if you haven't already. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, I I sort of um, I'd finished a masters at uh, at Melbourne Uni and I sort of took a a late gap year. Um, so like a year of just, you know, I was finishing my master's. Um, a, a lot of my teaching jobs were winding up and uh, the lease was up on the place I was uh, staying. 
So I thought I'll do my I'll do all my overseas projects that I wanted to do. So I wandered through. Um, I, well, it started with a tour around China with um, the Australian Concert Orchestra, which I was lucky enough to get in playing trumpet with. And um, uh, from there, I just sort of went through Central Asia, Eastern Europe. Um, sort of did the reverse hippie trail a little bit. <laughs> and along the way, a mate of mine was like, look, you, you should try ships. I'd never really even thought about it. Um, I don't know whether it's, uh, you know, people tend to have interesting preconceptions about what it means to be working or playing on ships. Um, and I hadn't really even thought about it. But a mate of mine said, look, you get paid, you get to play every day, you get to travel, and they'll, they'll get your flight home at the end. So that sounded pretty good when I was um, halfway across the, ro- the world and <laughs> burning a hole in my um, bank account. So, uh, yeah, I had a pretty funny experience. Well, the other thing was I'm, I was a guitarist. I am a guitarist, really, but uh, I didn't, you know, I'm, I'm traveling around Europe with a, a giant backpack. Right. Uh, <laughs> and I thought, look, if I, if I go straight from here to a, a ship, you know, and they book me as a guitarist, are they going to want an acoustic and an electric and a 12-string and all the effects and all this sort of stuff? I'm like, I can't afford to just pick that up. So I actually did the audition on bass because Mm. I I had played bass and I do read in bass clef, which is a, which being, you know, being a 15-year-old kid and getting made to play it in one of the stage bands, you know, I I hated it at the time, but it became a real asset because, um, again, the sight reading was was a real benefit so they uh, i did an audition on skype and uh the guy just the guy said okay great we'll have a look at that and um after having done an hour and a half audition and sweating bullets (laughs) uh i went down went down for a pint down in um kilburn in uh in london i was in london at the time and and the guy called me about an hour later and said um uh, can you fly out on next friday we've got a (laughs) we've got some work for you so Uh, so it all happened pretty quick. And it, when I've spoken to a lot of other people at all, you know, they have such varying experiences, but, um, I happened to be at the right place, right time. And, uh, so I went down to uh, Denmark street. Those of any listeners who might know London, it's the kind of the street of all the guitar shops mm. down. And I picked up a, uh, uh, a baby blue and white Fender P bass and, uh, a lead <laughs> and, okay. uh, jumped on a plane and uh, yeah, and so that that's that started um, the sh- the ship world, and I, so I did that for yeah, that was that was in twenty fifteen, I think. Oh okay. Yeah. So now, oh, no, uh, where did you no, fly to from London? Well, so this was the thing. The guy, because I didn't know anything about this ship gig, mm-hmm. and uh, I guess a lot of listeners might not know as well. Um, but uh, so I went through an agency, and the agency, you know, they can place you with maybe ten, fifteen different cruise lines all of which have their own quirks and their own pros and cons uh and so they called me up and said you're going to be we've got you a spot on the crystal symphony so crystal cruises and symphony was the name of the ship and uh, actually i'd pl- i'd i hadn't expected to get a gig so quick so i'd planned a bunch of stuff to do in the uk and actually finland and i sort of um, I, was, I was about to knock this guy back and i said oh look i had some he says stop look at the itinerary and give me a call back. So I looked at the itinerary and it started in LA, mm-hmm. went through the Pan- through the Panama Canal, um, New York, Iceland, Northern Europe, Mediterranean, Black Sea. Wow. <laughs> uh, and so I thought, uh, yeah, okay, I haven't been to most of these places, so um, I think I better take it. So 
so I did and changed my plans and uh, and headed out there. When you're playing in, in a, on a gig on a cruise ship, what what is that like? And you know, you know, there's, we're talking about you know playing in the pit, uh, play, you know, playing for theater shows. Um, how how does it compare when you're on a cruise ship when you're and you're one of the musicians? Uh, well, it's it, it's pretty much the wild west of music. It's mm. it's so uh, which has its kind of charm, uh, but and it will it it will depend on the line. Essentially, what happens is you, you know you're the you're the house band, right for the theater. Mm-hmm. So uh, what the cruise line wants to do is they want to offer um, they have these in house productions. So they've got a cast of maybe ten, twelve dancers and singers, with sets and costumes and everything. And um, they'll maybe they'll be on. They'll have a show, a you know preset and thoroughly rehearsed show once every couple of days. Uh, but then in between that, they might have a comedian or a magician or a West End tenor or a violin soloist, instrumentalist, whatever. So if they need the band, you're you're on call to play that as well. So um, I can say for Crystal Cruises, their productions were were amazing. So the the charts that we got were all made in-house by their production company and mm. uh, and they only have they only have two ships. Like a lot of uh cruise companies have, you know, 5, 10, 15 ships. Mm-hmm. Um but these guys they had an office out of LA and um and uh, so what actually happens is, you know, there's the lineup was piano, bass, drums, trumpet, trombone and woodwind. So the woodwind would be doubling flute and clarinet as well as sax and uh and we'd all play to a click track and the there would be live strings percussion backing vocals on a track mm-hmm. and uh and it's a lot of mu- ship musicians it's the bane of their existence because the tracks are more often than not horrible sort of computer generated uh crunchy you know horrible keyboard patches coming through right but uh, these guys did a really great job, and uh, rumor had it that Wayne Bergeron and some of the LA guys, are, are session guys, are playing on some of those tracks. And so it was great. It was it sounded great out in the house, and when you had someone running the desks that know, knew what they were doing, it was fantastic. But um, but I tell you what, the the music was it was they were like review shows, so um, right. they weren't there. There is one uh, one or two cruise ships that do um, that do musicals like Grease or Wicked or something. But the vast majority will be kind of a grab bag of Cats, Les Mis, Man of La Mancha, uh, done to varying degrees of uh, artistry and right. taste. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, this this was pretty good. And actually, you know, we had this. It was uh, we had this show called Curtain Call, which was a perennial favorite, and the the scores were just you know. They were. This thing was going to go down with the ship. It was so popular. It was just you know. It was never going to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know. It, there was the Les Mis one day more, where everyone comes out with the waving the flags and what else do they have? Cabaret and Chicago and all that sort of stuff. So it was you know they're all all the hits pretty much, and you're 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 there. You you're pretty much playing all the time, um, which is good. Uh, no no real dialogue. Uh, so yeah, and you do two seatings. Uh, yeah, two seatings per evening. So you'd have maybe something at one at seven and one at nine, I guess. And uh, what kind so of rehearsals that, yeah. did you have 
uh, on a, on a line. Well, for the it was a it was a bit easier for the 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 set in house shows because you've got access to the music and you um, you rehearse them. But the thing was, I joined just as a bass player um, individually, so uh, I turned up and the rest of the guys were already there. Right, and um, so they'd been playing it for however many uh, months, weeks, days, whatever. And about so uh, thankfully, oh sorry, yeah. how many sh- how many shows? Uh uh, a day you do, did you normally do uh well you you'd generally be playing every night mm. some in some way okay. so uh usually what happened because the ship was relatively small by um by by uh, i mean relatively speaking i mean it was maybe if 800 900 guests right so they needed to utilize so what they would do is essentially um if there was a magician or comedian in the theater we'd get enlisted to do like a Dixieland set or a combo gig somewhere, which, um, uh, as you mentioned with some of the other musicians, it's, uh, that, that versatility was, was kind of the, 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 uh, the extra layer on top, you know? So, uh, uh, so not only did you have to be a good reader, but you also had to be able to <laughs> sit in with a, with some changes and not make a total fool out of yourself, <laughs> which yes. is, uh, uh, but then, then again, that's why I mentioned earlier. It's you know, f- for someone to get a, a well-rounded, well-rounded, you know, um, front-line experience position, it's um, it's it's kind of great. Um, but potentially, let's say, out of seven days, you'd be in the theater five days, uh, one one tech run. So, and you just run it through. You'd run it through once in the afternoon. Everyone would go up and get their lunch, get a coffee, maybe a few wines, right. get some dinner, and, and then you'd go and do two seatings of the show. And, uh, you know, you'd get pretty comfortable after a while and um, the scores would accumulate lots of little in-jokes and pencil marks. And uh, I remember um, probably a, a, uh, a result of them being bigger orchestral scores reduced, the, uh, the sax player... <laughs> the opening number of the opening show had a core anglais cue and uh which is which no one's going to bring to a ship gig <laughs> so right. uh there was lots of uh lots of sarcastic comments about oh i hope you brought your core anglais uh <laughs> in your in your carry-on luggage so there was yeah it's, i mean it's a great community and you know it's uh if you like you said ha- have when you've got a good bunch of people in the pit, it's uh, it really amplifies the experience. And um, yeah, look, I, I loved it, which is why I did it for for so long, pretty much. Did you uh, did you get a lot of downtime at the various ports? Did you get to see see anything during some off time? Oh yeah, and that was that's like one of the real uh, that's the real reason that you would do it for right. a longer period of time. I think, um, and I saw some amazing places that. Uh, I would never have been able to get to. Like we went to Easter Island, mm. which is insane. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, you know, a flight there probably cost three grand just to get there, you know? So, so we did a, one of the crossings was, um, uh, Chile through the Pacific. Um, we stopped by Pitcairn Island, the most, you know, remote Island in the world pretty mm-hmm. much. Uh, and, uh, through, you know, th- through the Pacific to New Zealand and Australia. And, um, yeah, so we and this is the funny thing. There's you know because when you look at these poor guys that are working in the bar or in the housekeeping or anything, there's there's actually no 
days off. Um, they're, everyone's working all the time. And, uh, but the musicians get all, all, all day off essentially. So, so it's a real, uh, it's a real win in terms of the, um, the lifestyle, but, uh, you always have to put up with the surly waiters and, uh, people who do actual jobs on the ship because, uh, yeah, they're, uh, they're a bit envious of our, of our situation, but it's, um, yeah, look, it's great. You know, I just... <laughs> try not to get in too many fights about it and yeah. uh, try and enjoy it as much as you can. So, yeah. Yeah. I don't know if you can see, but uh, on top of my piano and kind of one of the sides of your view, there is a globe uh -huh. and, uh, and I like globes and I, um, it doesn't spin very easily. So I just, mm -hmm. I keep it to the, to the Pacific ocean just because mm. I love, I'm fascinated by the South Pacific islands. I, in fact, I read a book called Polynesia that was all about mm -hmm. the development and, and, and I guess I keep it there because I figure of all the places I'm likely to go in the world, that's probably last. <laughs> right. <laughs> you yeah. Know, it, but you never know op what opportunities may come. Um, mm. Now, speaking of opportunities and traveling, so, uh, you know, I haven't asked you, uh, you know, your relationships as of this time, but I assume that you were probably single. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and I did, there, uh, I did have relationships on the ship as well, uh, mm. but it's... It's definitely um, a single person's environment. <laughs> yeah, because I was considering cruise ships, um, well, within the past 10 years, I was just looking, you know, what are some options of some things that I could do at this point? And, you know, I started kind of reading the descriptions and people talking about how long you're away from home at one time. And, you know, well, I'm married. And, mm -hmm. and I'm like, well, unless we both get a job <laughs> on the cruise ship, that's... That's probably not a you know very healthy thing you know for a relationship to be away from your house most of the time um, so uh, I guess on that note, how you know just to tell our listeners about how often in a year you know when you were on the year five years of the cruise ship, how many days per year were you away from your house uh well, for a period of that i um I pretty much traveled nonstop for a couple of years mm. uh, because I, I would do a contract. I'd have my time off. And in that time off, I would just travel <laughs> between where I would leave the ship and where I would join the ship. Mm -hmm. um, two and on two of those occasions, I would be staying with um, my then uh, girlfriend. But um, uh, yeah, so it's, it's pretty much up to you. I think in terms of musicians, uh, we generally get a bit nicer conditions, so you could probably do three to four months at a stretch without them getting too annoyed because obviously they cover the costs of flights and all that sort of stuff. So it's in the cruise company's interest to have you stay as long between having them having to fly you around. So, uh, And some departments, they go, their standard is nine months away at a time, which is kind of insane. Um so, uh, but thankfully, I mean, that was the good thing about Crystal Cruises is uh, the situation was there was a regular on the chair and they took a month break and then they were back again. Other ships, they're like four months at a time. It's just roulette, whatever you want. Um, and if you get to know the people in the office and if it's a relatively small company, you can... Uh, I had a friend who was there, a drummer who's, uh, who's still there, David Price, and he... Um, yeah, he'd he'd sort of he'd worked out a whole 
you know, he was very tactical about it where he's like, well, I'm going to extend here so I can get a month off here. And last year I didn't have Christmas off. So, but this year I want to have Christmas off because blah, 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 blah. So there, there are ways to work around it. But uh, unfortunately, not everyone in all the different departments can have, can have that um, flexibility. Uh, so, but yeah, you're right. It is, it, it's very unnatural in the sense that um, it does affect the social nature of not only your home relationships, but your relationships on the ship uh, because right. you're, you're meeting you're meeting a bunch of people. And uh, the weird, the funny thing is, you know, you, you get along well. Like, you know, if you imagine you're in you're in a, a, a pit and you've got this m- group of people, and then you get one dep that comes in, mm-hmm. uh, and that you know. You know, everybody knows the Depp and they're getting along, but they have no idea about the last guitarist, you know? So right. there's like a, a, a singular hole in their social experience. And that's the same thing where everyone, it's like a summer camp kind of vibe where, because you think you, you're working, you're traveling, you're partying, you're dating together 24 hours a day. And it's, uh, it's you would think, and, you know, for some people it is a bit uh, overwhelming uh, and some people... Uh, who aren't as, um, I don't know, itinerant as me uh, right. might get a bit homesick. But um, I, look, I enjoyed it. And um, having the time off, you can sort of go for a walk in the woods, you know, like we, we did in Alaska season and you can just go for hikes and you're up in the mountains and it's there's no one around and you can come down, have a coffee and just sort of reset. So that's that's a nice uh, luxury to have as well. But um, but you're right, it, is, it, 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 it can be hard, especially if you've got... Uh, people at home so if i was to summarize you know if if there are listeners that are thinking i'd like to be a cruise musician I, I guess the list i would probably go through is uh first of all make sure that you you are a good sight reader you know make sure you're you're uh-huh. not just someone who plays by ear um but be flexible and well-rounded really know your instrument mm-hmm. you gotta you have to want to travel <laughs> and uh yep. and you also need to have uh, you need to not have any really tight connections where you live right now that you can't do without for for quite yeah. a while. So, yeah, you're right. And the thing that I didn't quite comprehend it wasn't such a, an issue for me when I started because I was a vagabond traveler anyway. But um, if you start doing this as a musician, you sort of you drop off people's uh, first call list mm-hmm. <laughs> pretty quickly. So uh, f- what I found was that I sort of had this in for a penny, in for a pound mentality. I'd already done um, the first contract was six months, which was a bit long. Um, but then when I got back, you know, I ended up having coffee with everyone and they've all got their groups already formed. They've already got their depths that they already always use. So it's a bit of a it can be a bit of a curse, which is why I think it's it's great for younger players or people straight out of college, because you get to put a lot of what you've learned into action you get to learn a lot of stuff on the front line and i know guys that um you know what it's always sax players as well i don't know why but i always walk in backstage and they're shedding some coltrane solo or they're doing some transcription or they're doing arranging so there's time for that as well so even if you aren't if even if you aren't a traveler um it's a great way to woodshed stuff um, because especially when you're at sea, because that's the thing it's, I don't know about you, but I sometimes really like rainy days when you look out and you, you don't feel like you're missing out running around outside. So you think, okay, may as well get some work done. It's, it's kind of a nice feeling. Maybe I'm alone in that, but, um, 
but it 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 I look I got a lot of work done when I was on the ship so that was um that's another thing. Okay. So so I know that that's uh that's a past life you're not you're not currently active you know doing cruises full time but uh as from what you've heard and and I should say we're recording this in July this is probably going to come out uh sometime in I I would guess sometime around August late August. Um but from right now what do you think the future of cruise lines are? Because that's one of those industries when they start talking about what could be changed for good. You know, I, I can't say that I've heard it from people who are in authority, but it's speculated that cruises may suffer long term from from this type mm. of thing, this pandemic. Have you have you heard similar things or have you heard something that's more optimistic than that? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, nobody really knows. Um and actually, I, I, I still do work uh, on ships, but I I do a, uh, a headline show okay. now, which is great because that means uh, instead of me being in the backup band, right, having to put up with horrible charts, I'm now the one supplying the horrible charts nice. <laughs> to the musicians <laughs> uh, and shouting at them to do what I want. No, no, it's, 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 it's good. And I, I actually, I get a bit of cred from the surly musicians for having done the backline stuff. So, it, you right. know, I, I get a bit of street cred for that. Um, but actually, it's uh, it's even more of a problem for me now because uh, it's all it's all week by week based. So yeah. um, there's even less kind of stability. Uh, I've, as of recording, um, I know a few cruise companies have been in touch saying that they're they're kind of getting everything ready for when they get the green light, and then they're going to book as quick as possible and get everything up as quick as possible. Um, I think the thing is, you know, with e- even in Australia and New Zealand, which is a massive uh, and it's been growing in the last couple of years uh, area for cruises. Right. I found that it's a lot of North American and some British travelers. That's been the vast majority of guests on ships and with countries being restricted, you know, I mean, it's just. Uh, we had a we had an issue with the Ruby Princess here in uh, in Sydney, and uh, you know you've got an international you've got the ship that's registered in the Bahamas. The company's American. They're sailing into Australia with guests that are from the UK. Like this, it's just this incredible uh, perfect storm of uh, not being able to respond quickly to some to something that needs uh, attention. And so what happened was. Uh, even on the ground in Sydney, you know, they let a bunch of people out who had who had coronavirus, and that it actually gave a pretty bad stigma to cruise ships. But in actual fact, it was really the failing of the government to actually think, you know, like a plane arriving from Wuhan. Um, right. It's not really it's not really the plane's fault. It's the <laughs> it's the handling uh, logistically of it. So, um, so it is. Look, it's going to. I think anything in tourism is going to be the last thing to fully open up, and uh, right. cruising is seen as such a uh, a luxury, and that's how it is sort of seen. It's a it's a special treat, luxurious reward, um, and that's. I think a lot of people will probably uh, put that off, but uh, by the same token, um, the I'm sure there's going to be massive discounts. There's going to be massive incentives for right. people who've always wanted a cruise to jump on it fifty percent off. Mm-hmm. And there's, of course, maybe the 40, 30% of hardcore cruisers that are just <laughs> waiting by the phone for the, the, the green light to, to book their next cruise. So 
you know, all those factors, I don't know how, how you can pass them. You just have, we just have to wait and see. So, um, yeah. Yeah. It's, so that uh, wasn't really an answer at all. Oh, but no. Uh, <laughs> no. Uh, so um, what are some of the other cruise lines you've done? You, you did Crystal. Um, what are some of the other lines you've toured with? Uh, I, I played bass there on Crystal for two years, and then I managed to step up to guitar as my um, – actually finally got a Guernsey playing my, you know, playing my real instrument, and that was with Seaborn Cruises, okay. and they're, they're great. They're really good. I can highly recommend them as well, uh, not only for a musician or performer, but also if you have the billion dollars to go and take a Seaborn Cruise, it's <laughs> well worth it. They're great. You know, the, the shows were good and everything. Um, so they they were my two experiences um, as a sort of backline house musician. Oh, and actually, there's one there's one quite interesting experience I had, which uh, you listeners might be interested to hear about. And it's mm-hmm. it was on a ship called the World. Yeah. And uh, it's such I think it's such a dumb name for a ship, but <laughs> uh, it's actually it's actually just one ship. It's it's a privately owned cruise ship, so you actually buy an apartment on the ship (laughs) and it's like the it's like the holy grail for a lot of the ship workers because it's like you know they've done these crazy big party ships where everyone's drinking every night and you're in the bahamas and everything um and then as you get a bit older it's 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 an extremely high uh you know six star vvip experience um, and I worked there in a trio playing playing music. So I was playing. Uh, they had a they had a double bass there, which was amazing. I didn't have to go lugging a bass uh, anywhere. They had a, a full upright, and um, yeah, so we we played there for a couple of weeks, and that was fantastic. But um, it was surreal, uh, and uh, it was only about twenty percent full because you know people own the places and they're they're off working and they come and have a few weeks on a holiday and. So those, yeah. So that was quite an interesting um, and surreal experience. Mm-hmm. And then after that, ha- having um, having sat in the back line watching these uh, sometimes pretty subpar <laughs> musicians come and uh, put on shows, right? I thought these if these clowns can get paid, you know, four times what I am and do four times less work, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to get into that. So, um, so I started doing that in tw- end of 2018. Right. Yeah, that's right. And that's been, yeah, that's been what I've been doing. That's, that's been my main bread and butter, um, since then. Well, since, uh, yeah, a, f- a couple of, couple of months ago. And our friend um, Dan Beckman, you met on one of those cruises. Yeah, he was on, was it yeah, he was uh, on Antarctica? Seaborn. Yes, it- that's right. Yeah, so this was this is an incredible itinerary, and it's again one of these. I would have done all my ship work just to get down there. It was it's incredible. A lot of ships go past the Antarctic Peninsula, which is down south of uh, South America, mm-hmm. and um, uh, but Seaborn is one of the few that actually lands, so you can actually get out and walk around next to penguins in Antarctica, and that was. Uh, it's still surreal. I still can't believe I did that. Um, and Dan was there as part of the onboard um, crew uh, uh, cast. So there were two male vocalists, two female vocalists. And uh, and I had so Seaborn. They had a show, um, you know, along with your your Broadway classics and your rock and roll show and mm-hmm. all that sort of stuff, uh, and the Great American Songbook kind of show. They had. 
they'd paired up with Tim Rice, the lyricist ah. for um, Jesus Christ Superstar, Lion King, all that sort of stuff. And they had this uh, they had this show, An Evening with Tim Rice, and he'd worked with the producers there. And it was Seaborn's way of getting a bit of celebrity cachet. And um, I had quite a surreal experience because he actually, Tim Rice actually came and sailed <laughs> on that Antarctic cruise. I think yeah. that was with Dan. And I had the surreal experience of being in uh, Ushuaia, um, Tierra del Fuego, at that bottom of South America in Argentina. Yeah. Sitting across from Tim Rice, eating a Hard Rock Cafe <laughs> cheeseburger, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> with like the rest of the crew. It's it was just it was just surreal, you know. So many. I tell you what, you know. I hope I've encouraged some people to investigate it further. This ship life because it's just you just get so many surreal moments. And if you're if you're a fan of those uh, interesting social interactions, let alone the travel, um, it's it's well worth your while. <laughs> right. Um, have Have you ever had any I don't know unfortunate incidents uh, in a show that you'd like to elaborate on? Any uh, I, I like to, I like to call them horror stories. Any nightmares <laughs> that have happened in oh, the show? Music. Musically, you mean, or, uh, or or technically, or just something that? Oh, oh no, I can't believe this is happening during a show. <laughs> There's always a risk of um, the click going out, and that's one of these um, <laughs> one of these moments. And uh, we had this woman come on, and she did a she did a Whitney Houston tribute, mm -hmm. and she was amazing. And in the the three p.m tech run rehearsal she sort of came in with the sunglasses inside and the you know the starbucks mug and <laughs> right. like proper diva rehearsal you know and, but she yeah she was incredible um and uh anyway so we're on this small stage it's a small ship this is on seaborne as well by the way right and the lights lights go down it's a you know drum roll on the toms ladies and gentlemen please welcome to the stage the diva of the seas whatever you know <laughs> Anyway, great introduction. Piano player is supposed to plant this big introduction chord on a um, on one of the keyboards. Nothing's coming out of the speakers. Lights are still down. Drums still going. The MD's screaming, "Play the piano! Play the piano!" Um, turns out it wasn't patched into a DI. Nothing was happening, so it wasn't actually plugged in. And uh, when we told the, the tech that it wasn't plugged in. We heard over our in-ear cans, we heard this guy at the back of the theater go, oh, crap, <laughs> as he realized he was about to get fired oh, wow. <laughs> for probably messing up the biggest, like, cue. But um, it was, uh, it, look, it was, everyone knows that there's technical difficulties, and that was, I mean, that was pretty mild. It wasn't really a train wreck event. But we actually did have a, um, a Code Bravo in the middle of one of the shows, which mm. means uh, a fire oh, <laughs> on nice. board. So, uh, and that was on the deck above the theater, directly above the theater. So, um, yeah, we we pretty much just <laughs> had to evacuate the theater. And uh, it turned out a guy was on the open deck smoking and mm. he had uh, set the ashtray on fire. <laughs> and, right. um, but then he was quick enough to run and grab an extinguisher and put it out. So he then got... Uh, crew member of the month for putting out a fire that he started. So I guess that was okay. something. <laughs> well, um, so I wanted to talk to you today because, uh, you know, I wanted to hear about being a cruise musician, which, uh, you know, to, it's not the same as being 
you know, a theater pit musician, but I think you have many of the same crossover skills. I mean, um, almost everything you've said that you have to be able to do uh, on a, as a cruise ship musician, you have to be able to do when you're playing for a show and you have the same kind of issues and you're really, you're not, it's not all about you, but it's supporting something that's going on in front of you. Um, but I, I just have to ask, have you, have you done any traditional theater before? Yeah. Um, actually when I was, uh, when I started in, um, university, I was, I went in, got in as a guitarist uh-huh. and, um, uh, I actually, this was at uh, Melbourne university and I'm not quite sure how it works. Uh, I mean, it seems to vary from university to university, but at the time they were just allowing in contemporary guitarists into a classical, essentially a classical course, you know? Mm-hmm. So, you know, it was amazingly esteemed, you know, uh, great concert pianists and or- orchestras, chamber music, but there was also obviously the saxes that has it had invaded since the eighties probably. So, there was already a jazz big band um, program, so of course it made sense to have electric guitar and electric bass. So I think I was maybe the second or third year that actually accepted electric guitarists. Mm. So as I um, as I joined, I met one of the older guys, and he said, "Oh, hey, you're you're the new guitarist." And I said, "Yeah, yeah." He goes, "Can you read?" I said, "Yeah." He said, "I've got a dep gig for you next week." Like pretty much the second sentence, I was mm. getting these dep dep gigs for theater shows, right? Um, because uh, yeah, as you covered in your previous uh, one of your previous episodes, um, sight reading is uh, you know it, it is challenge it is a challenge on guitar straight. Away, I mean, regardless, but right. it is true that not many people read well, <laughs> right? So having that up my sleeve, I pretty much fell into the slipstream of depping for a bunch of different guys uh, because I was young enough to not want, you know, the big coin to do it. Uh, I would sort of do it for, um, you know, community shows and to get the experience. So, yeah, I did a bunch in those in those first undergrad years. Did um, uh, what did I do? Sound of Music, yeah. Chicago, Greece, Rent, Aida. Um, yeah, I think I eat is a Tim Rice show too, right? Yeah, it is. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Some some great music in there. Yeah, two guitars on that one, and um, yeah, a bunch of others that I probably can't remember as well. But um, I look, I really enjoyed it. And the thing is, I I sort of miss that now because um, I mean, I I always sign up and keep keep an eye on the Facebook pages for um, you know one off dep gigs, you know fill in gigs, um, right? Because that keeps my sight reading in shape. And uh, just recently, I did uh, Carrie. The um, oh yeah, is it called Carrie? Yeah. Yes, Carrie. Yeah, based on the film. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was great. You know, lots of uh, squealy guitar, and yeah, it was good. Yeah, yeah. I've I've music directed that show before. It's 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 a fun one. It's one. I don't know the audi- uh, It seems like at least where I live, the audiences, uh, the people who come really like it, but. Not not as many people want to come see it <laughs> as they would, right. you know, if we were doing Rent or doing, you know, a, a huge number of other shows. But yeah, it's 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 actually pretty fun. Yeah, I guess that's the real that's the real uh, challenge, isn't it? I think opera companies have the same thing, you know, mm-hmm. um, with contemporary, either new works, lesser known works, underappreciated works, challenging works. Right. Everyone just wants to see La Traviata, La Boheme. Like everyone wants to see 
Greece and Les Mis, <laughs> you know, it's yeah, it, it must be a hard uh, dynamic to kind of um, straddle. Well, in this region, for whatever reason, um, like musicals that are perceived as horror musicals, like based on on scary movies, because like the same thing when we did uh, Evil Dead, which is a hilarious <laughs> right. musical. Oh, I'm not familiar with that. I'll, I'll just you got to go listen to the recording of that. It's uh, all right. It is. It's it's kind of outrageous. <laughs> this is the best way I can describe it, but I, I won't spoil it other than that. But it's okay. Okay, it's, yeah, it's pretty hilarious. Uh, everyone who sees it loves it, but you know, it's it's just at least around where I live, it's hard to get people as interested in that. Like they'll come see a contemporary musical, uh, hmm. especially if it's gotten any Tony buzz, you know. So like you know, Spring right. Awakening, Next to Normal. We had oh no, yes, yeah, we had no trouble selling those. Um, hmm. The only tr- time it's troubles if it's like uh, in, in the winter. Sometimes you know it's hard to get, pe- especially if it's a, a snowy week or something like that. It's hard to get people out. But uh, yeah, yeah. Well, it sounds like you've had a you know just a lot of experience, and and you know we could we could do a second episode if we were just going to break away from talking about cruise ships and just all the other things oh. you're doing, but. Um, I could no doubt talk in music for hours. Don't worry. Don't. I feel like I've already spieled enough. <laughs> I feel oh, like I just fine. vomited everything out through the microphone here. Well, just one. Uh, uh, just one. Well, a couple questions. What What kind of music do you find yourself listening to just for fun? Oh, look, I tell you what. I my Spotify algorithm is truly confused because I <laughs> listen to pretty much uh, pretty much everything. I've been at the moment. Uh, one of the things I'm working on. Uh, it, during this lockdown, it's, it's actually been great for my creativity. Um, there's a, uh, I'm putting together a group that's um, a, like a live chamber music group with electronic uh, backing. So kind of subtle beats and kind of dark electronic kind of soundscapes, but with uh, violin, cello, alto flute, bass clarinet, trumpet trombone and piano (laughs) so it's like quite an interesting sort of like new music so i do listen to a lot of weird modern new music um i love the old bebop stuff like the kind of or even like post bop sort of um uh, lee morgan uh lee konitz yeah um, all those kind of guys uh wayne shorter uh um, and then i love this the the kind of early modern late romantic symphonists like i i was listening to um sibelius oh yeah he's a fantastic uh composer i tell uh, I, I tell a lot of people that you know as much as i love some of the beethoven symphonies and a lot of mm. others uh i said if you if you force me to take a cycle of symphonies and i have to listen to only those symphonies but i have to listen to all of them yeah. It'd, be, it'd be Sibelius, those seven symphonies. Oh. There's not a there's not a miss among them. Yeah, and it's and you're exactly right. It it it's it, they work particularly well as a set, and they don't they don't necessarily progress. Like I guess Marlowe was trying to do that. He was kind of trying to link a couple of them up, like a kind of great trilogy of set of novels right. like game of thrones or something but yeah. yeah i i um i look i i've always got a soft spot for sibelius and actually i guess he's in he's in my mind because um uh, i'm right i'm actually writing a piece uh, for this group based on one of the places in antarctica and uh-huh. sibelius's music that um, for those of you playing along at home if this makes it into the uh, podcast for recommendations the fourth symphony. It, I mean, it's it's quite modern, yeah. but it's like cold and dark. But there's like moments of light, and it's so. Oh, it's just for me. It's just that's right in the sweet spot, you know. 
kind of quirky, modern, but not annoying and atonal and brash. Right. It's, yeah. Anyway. I, I probably need to re- revisit that one more. Of course, you know, his number two is really popular. And I, mm. I challenge people, try to listen to the last movement of Symphony Number no. 2 and 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 not feel happy. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, happy. uplifted. Yeah. Uh yeah. The the opening of the of number six actually sounds like it came from a Disney movie. You know? It's, yeah, all the flutes going everywhere. Yeah. 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 And then you know five is fun. Of course, seven is the one I think he did when he was on heroin or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Well there's that famous story. I don't know uh, you look I don't know how much of it's true, but right. they said that, you know, he um when he he wrote his seventh and he was it was this you know massive culmination of his whole process and then he had the eighth and he had given the first movement to a publisher and then one night because he loved to drink and he loved his cigars that was the whole thing you know yeah and so he he bowled in there one evening and grabbed it and threw it into the fire because he just (laughs) came to this it came to this crushing realization that he couldn't he sort of he, he couldn't surpass the seventh symphony, but actually it's funny because there may, might be some truth to that because he didn't write anything for like the last twenty years of his life. Like he he yeah. he he stopped writing quite early, which I think is pretty rare with composers. So right. I think there's a there's some kind of you know steely Finnish stoicism about his kind of you know character that kind of. It's, it's kind of a ballsy move to just be like, that's it. No, nope, yep. I'm done. I'm just going to sit and listen to people play my music and criticize them if they take it too fast or slow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which was yeah, pretty much what he did. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, thank you for taking time uh, and just, uh, you know, talking about your, your adventures on cruise ships and these, all the other things. And uh, uh, my pleasure. And just hope that, uh, you know, we, you can get back to playing, being a headliner again soon, and that we can all get back to, to normal. And I just, one last sh- uh, shameless plug, uh, you mentioned Spotify. So you can't go there n- as we're interviewing, but hopefully by the time this episode opens, uh, you'll be able to find the, the lock-in score album. Now, it's just my my contribution. Uh, but, you know, may- maybe if more than 10 people listen to it, <laughs> I might get, I, we might do an expanded version, you know. And actually, I would love to eventually do do a full music, maybe double album that includes the songs and 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 your your numbers and the in addition to yeah, the actually, score. you know, I didn't even know it was on Spotify, so I'm going to go and have a listen to oh, that. Well, no, right yeah, it, it will be it will be when the episodes. Oh, it's coming up, up. but yeah, not yet. It's um, mm-hmm. as, as we're interviewing, it's it's in the distribution line, and they right. tell you yep. everything takes twice as long right now with, during COVID. Yeah. So. <laughs> Can imagine. Yeah, everyone's uh, uploading the albums that they've been sitting on. And uh, yeah, the release date <laughs> was supposed to be yesterday, but it still says currently being ins- inspected. Wait one to three weeks. <laughs> yeah. So yep, that's wh- it. Whatever. But it should be out by the end of July. So lovely. Cool. All right. Yeah, well, thank you so much, and uh, uh, look forward to just following. Uh, oh yeah. So that that'll be our last question. Where can people follow you if they want to know more about what you're doing? Um. You can go to jameshodson.com. Um, that's got my guitar stuff. It's mm-hmm. got some of my um, atmospheric, relaxing, and sparse contemporary classical stuff, if you're into that. Um, and uh, I have an alternate ship persona. So that's jimhodson.net. And that's uh, all my silly, crazy rock and roll, um, ukulele, 
fun guitar stuff. If you go to jimhodson.net, you'll find that stuff. But um, yeah, that doesn't really get so much of a run, but you can find some of it up there. So um, yeah, those two places. Okay. All right. Well, again, thanks a bunch and uh, look forward to, f- uh, I, again, I look forward to following what what's going on. Yeah, well, thanks for having me, David. And um, hopefully we get to shake hands uh, post-COVID someday. Yes. <laughs> That wraps up episode 13. We'll be back again next Friday with episode 14, in which I will be talking to someone who's still quite a ways away, but a little bit closer than today's guest. She lives in Los Angeles. She's written a couple of musicals, one of them which was on stage and getting its first reading uh, when COVID shutdown began, and we'll be talking to her about that. As a reminder, if you want to follow what's coming up next, be sure to follow us on Instagram or Twitter at Life in the Pit Pod. And you can follow me personally on Instagram at David Lane Music or Twitter and Facebook at David M. Lane Music. As always, a special thanks to Mark Perolo for his cover art and to Bill Cisna for providing the introduction to this podcast. All original music is composed and performed by David Lane, and you can find out more about this podcast at davidlanemusic.com slash podcast or at our Podbean page, lifeinthepit.podbean.com. Please rate and review on the Apple Podcast app. Share with your friends. Thank you for listening. Thank you.